come from a unique generation, and maybe in a way we do, but I think about the generation from which I came. Been in the news, some of it recently, with the celebration, renewal, and ideas of the the civil rights movement, 1950s, 1960s. We saw the rebellion of the 1960s, draft card burners, women's liberation coming to light, and a lot of things like that that really were a part of an anti-establishment idea of the people who became later the establishment in in a lot of ways. An interesting generation where music changed, gathered in the psychedelic generation and the ideas that were so much a part of that time and that place, um, and so many other things. And I guess maybe we all look at that. We even had bell-bottom pants. I just want you to know. Big bell-bottom pants. Weird clothing. But maybe we, maybe we don't see our times as being quite that much. But you know, I think it takes something. While I would disagree with some of the things that went on in my own generation, some of the ways we approach things, the way that we addressed and the issues that we addressed, I may disagree with some of those things, but in a way I appreciate the idea that that some felt the importance of the ability to cut across the grain, to even go totally against the grain. And that's what I call the lesson this morning, Against the Grain. A couple of passages that I want us to think about this morning. One of them we're going to read, but the other one we're going to just kind of reference if we could. And I think you'll, it will be somewhat familiar to you. But the idea of being a Christian sometimes means you're going to go against the accepted norms of the time. One time I said Jesus was a radical, and I got in trouble for saying that. What I meant was he was perceived, his means were perceived as radical as compared to the, the times in which they lived. Jesus was appropriate. I don't mean that he was something out of line, so don't think of it in quite that line. There were radical differences between Jesus and some of the teaching of the time, and the people noticed that. They were astonished at his teaching because he didn't teach them like some of the scribes and the Pharisees of the day. He wasn't just a dictatorial teacher, but he was a man who called upon the minds and the thinking of people to draw upon the things that they needed to be, to draw them back closer and closer to God. He wanted them to be that way. Later, that close apostle of his, Peter, would write in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. He writes, for we, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatry. Sounds like the 21st century, doesn't it? But he said, in regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter wanted us to understand there are times that we're going to run countercultural, that we're going to be absolutely different than the people around us. The people are going to think it's strange when you think and act in the way that you do. Not just talking about the way we conduct our worship service. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the way you live your life, the way you conduct yourself, the devotion that you give to God, the way that you present yourself in the world, and the very nature of Christ in you. But it goes back to Jesus, doesn't it? It goes back to him and the way he conducted himself and the way he lived his life. We see his life is short. 
And we really look at a very small segment of his life, but in it we see who he was and what he was and what he taught, and we understand it. We understand that it's different. We understand that it's unique. We understand that it is of God, and we understand the values that are found in it. I want to think of one particular occasion in the life and the ministry of Jesus. It actually took place more than one time, but one in particular this morning. As we look at the second chapter of John, John in his great epistle, in that beautiful, beautiful descriptive epistle, writes so much about Jesus and his deity and his dignity. But we recognize there was an occasion where he came to Jerusalem and things were not as he expected them to be. It was the Passover. It was a time of feasting. And as he arrived, we don't know how many times he had seen the way that it was. He knew the way the people conducted themselves. Here he is, a man at about 30 years of age, maybe in that general category. How many times had he seen it? How many times had he been there? We know of a few of the occasions, but how many times in his lifetime had he been there? Good Jews traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover regularly. They tried to make it every year if they possibly can. It's possible that Jesus had been to Jerusalem more than 25 times for the Passover. He'd seen the things that happened there. He'd listened to the things that had gone on, and he'd seen the people and the way that they behaved. He'd seen the conduct of them there. But there was this time, this time that John describes for us when he arrives, at this time he had reached the limit. He had reached the limit of his willingness to dismiss what he saw that was not acceptable. He couldn't let it pass anymore. It was that proverbial straw on the camel's back. Maybe he knew that if he didn't stop it there, if he didn't stop it then, there would be more, maybe even worse to confront. Maybe we see things too. Perhaps we too have seen things that we would like to confront, but we didn't. We didn't feel like we had the voice or whatever reason. Maybe we thought that it would be more of a problem to confront than to simply let it slide past us. Maybe we didn't think it was our business to do so. At the same time, we know that if we let things go, the people, the person or persons doing whatever, whatever it is, will find it easier to do it again and again and again. Frankly, such behavior is part of the common human condition. If we find it easy to do, we'll probably do it again. If we don't find punishment for doing wrong, we'll probably do wrong again. I think we have always in humanity, almost always in humanity, tried to push the limits of our boundaries to see how far we could go on the things that were placed on us. So, as we look at Jesus, Jesus then undertook. He undertook the effort to let it be known that what he saw was being done, that was being done was unacceptable in his eyes and in the eyes of God. Yes, under the law, it was acceptable. It was acceptable to buy animals for sacrifice when you traveled a distance to come to Jerusalem there to celebrate the Passover. It was acceptable then to go and to find an animal and purchase the best animal that you possibly could and to provide that animal as a sacrifice. At the same time, to do it as a matter of laziness or con just simple convenience or for the benefit of profiteering for those who were on the other end of it was not what God had in mind. 
The Passover wasn't intended to be a time of profiteering. It wasn't intended to be a time of just accepted convenience and do whatever you can within the boundaries as long as it doesn't cause you too much trouble. That's not what God had in mind. It had become a practice that was commonly accepted among the people. You didn't have to worry about bringing your best lamb. You didn't have to bring, worry about bringing your sacrifice. Just come to town. There are going to be plenty of guys around the marketplace and even in the temple. You can buy the birds. You can buy the lamb. You can buy whatever you need right there. You need to exchange some money. It's going to be right there. For a little price, they'll exchange the money you need. And you can take your Roman money, turn it into Jewish money, and you can then make the offering that you wanted. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to think about it ahead of time. It's all going to be done and taken care of for you. That was the thought that was being put forward. That was what was there for him. And Jesus said, that's not acceptable. That's not acceptable. And so what I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is when Jesus confronted it, he was truly working against the common grain. It makes me think about a, a later occasion where we find that man Saul of Tarsus going to Damascus to, to capture Christians and bring them back, to persecute them. When he's confronted by the Lord and that bright light round about him and the voice speaking to him, the Lord tells him there, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Friends, it is hard sometimes to go against the grain. It had to be hard for Jesus to go into the temple and do the things he did that day. And yet he did. Against the grain. And so he says to them, he speaks to them as he comes in, and he makes it known to everyone who can hear him there, in my Father's house, in my Father's house, there is a conduct that's appropriate. Instead of worship and sacrifice, people were finding when they came to town, when they came to Jerusalem for the Passover, they were finding a state fair. People were having fun. Not that it's wrong to have fun, but that's why they were there. With the people, with the food, with the animals, with all the, the fun, with all the festivities. That became the centerpiece of it all. It wasn't about going to worship God. It was going to see the fun and enjoy the things. Man, they got the right kind of food over here. They got the best stuff over there. Man, they got the longest corn dogs in town. No, they didn't have any corn dogs. Sorry. But that's why they came. You think about it. You know, most years we go to the state fair. You know, I go to the state fair because I like to watch people. That's the main reason. I like to watch the people coming and going and seeing what they're doing. There are sights, there are sounds, there are smells, there are tastes, and they make it exciting and it's fun. Sometimes go and hear some music while I'm there. It's a lot of fun to go and do it. But it's not about worshiping God. Not intended to be. People were coming to Jerusalem like it was the state fair. So it was no longer about God. It was no longer about reverence. It was no longer about really acknowledging sin or a repentant attitude. It was not even about the spirit of the law, much less the technicality of the law. And so what I'm telling you is when Jesus came in on this occasion, no matter how many times he'd seen it before, when Jesus came in, he met that Popeye moment. You know what I mean. 
Because at 30 years or so of age, he had, it's assured that he had seen these things many times. But on this occasion, he said, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And that's when he got the whip. That's when he turned over the tables. That's when he drove the money changers out. There may have been many reasons for choosing this time to act. There may have been many reasons in his mind. I can only guess. Maybe things had gotten worse every year and he just saw it as it, it got worse and worse and sank lower and lower and lower. Maybe by now he had enough standing that he felt like he could be as a recognizable teacher to do something on this occasion. They knew who he was. They knew who he was. He's the one. He's the one. They know him. Go back to the end of, of chapter 1 a little bit. Whereas Nathaniel said, Rabbi, we know you are the Son of God. You are the Son of God. He had some standing that maybe he could get away with doing something. And maybe even most of all, his time and his ministry were growing shorter every day. And if he didn't do it now, then when? And I think as we look at it and we see Jesus with a whip in his hand, as we see him going through the temple, knocking over tables, driving people out, animals being turned loose, as we see those things, it may in our minds and in that picture that we draw in our minds be, appear to be the most un-Jesus things by human expectation, that is, that we read of him doing. But when you see the purpose behind, there's no doubt it is one of the most Jesus things he does, if you know what I mean. In the end, people were left wondering. What gives him the right to do this kind of thing? Who do you think you are? Maybe echoing somewhat Pharaoh's remark to Moses in Exodus 5. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Who are you to do these things, they were saying. Some said, show us a sign. There was a call for a sign or a miracle to identify him. And he did point. He did point to the one sign, but they didn't understand his meaning. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will build it up. And you may be a lot quicker than me, but it took me a while to realize the connection. Jesus drew a line from the temple that was dedicated to God's worship and the temple of his body that was dedicated to God. Each one dedicated. Each one so dedicated. Neither was to be treated with indignity, neither was to be treated lightly, neither was to be treated as if it was not devoted to God. And so when we think about going against the grain, when we think about that passage, there has to be a time when enough is enough. We've probably been there. We've been there when we've thought, I don't know what I, whether I can do this any longer. I don't know whether I can take this anymore. I don't know whether I can stand that anymore. Whatever it was. And the fact is, we've been where we've been. We've dealt with what we've dealt with and how long we've dealt with it or what we have done and what has been in our lives and maybe the things that we can't stand in our own lives anymore. We recognize for a certainty that the past cannot be changed. Now, fantasy may take us into the idea of quantum physics and 
and in science fiction may be able to travel through time and thus go back a few years in time and change something that was there. If we could just go back and change history, if we could just go back and change one mistake that we made, I don't want my wife to ever be able to go and do that. You got my meaning, didn't you? But that's a fantasy, isn't it? That's a fantasy. As far as I'm concerned, there's no way we're ever going to be able to travel back in time. We're never going to be able to travel to different points in time. Whatever the, the, the idea of the physics involved may be, I don't believe that will ever take place. Maybe somebody will prove me wrong one day, but I don't think so. But if we could. But you know, even though we can't go to the past and change the past, we don't have to continue where we, where we have come from. You get it? We don't have to continue to be stuck. We don't have to continue to just be what we have been. The past cannot be changed. That's a reality. But remember, there are reasons to change. There was a reason to change, and Jesus saw it. In our own lives, when we came, came to a realization that we needed Christ in our lives and we made that de dedicated and determined change in our lives, we made a real commitment because we saw in ourselves we truly were a real nowhere man, not a Brian Adams song. And we were headed to a nowhere end. Even without the extremes, positive changes are challenging Difficult, argumentative, unpopular, but generally for the good. When there is a reason to change, and we see that reason why we change, and it gives us reason to continue against the grain. And as we look at the people about us, they may not appreciate what we have become. They may not appreciate the changes they see in your life. Even friends, friends may have had a hard time separating the past you from the present you and who you become. How hard it was for some to recognize Saul of Tarsus as Paul the Apostle. How hard it was for them to see the changes in people's lives and the one who had persecuted becoming the one who proclaimed Old associates may become uncomfortable. Partly because they feel a little bit left behind. They see the changes in your life and they feel like they are stuck where they are. Maybe they just don't have the same courage you do. And so they often want to belittle or denigrate what you've done in some way because they can't appreciate it in themselves. And so they won't appreciate it in you. So they may not appreciate what you've come to be. But let me remind you, it's not our place to be their judges. Let God be the one who brings the judgment on them. When people come against us, when they say all manner of evil against us, as Jesus describes, we don't need to retaliate against rejection. We don't need to retaliate against that sense of ungodliness or evil. But we can be assured that God will. And let him have it. Let him have his way with it. It's what Paul says. He challenges us to live at peace with all men in Romans 12. And he said, when the evil comes your way, don't, don't retaliate. Return good for evil. No telling the good you might bring out of that. And when enough is enough, 
and you've reached that point of change, don't ever go back. Too often we find life filled with yo-yos. Not the ones on the string, but the life that, that imitates it. We tend towards being comfortable. Those comfortable behavior patterns. And when we put ourselves outside of those patterns, it sometimes is challenging for us and we tend to want to return to the comfortable pattern. And then we see that maybe this is not where I need to be and we try again and then we, re we regress back to that comfortable pattern again and again and so the yo-yo goes back and forth and back and forth. When you've reached that point of change, don't ever go back. I listened to a guy one time years ago and he was talking about developing a program of exercise for life because I was interested at the time in that. And he said, he said, too many people just go into outlandish patterns. They go into outlandish ways and just push themselves on things that they're never going to keep up. He says, begin with what you can do and what you can continue to do. Make it something that can fit with your life and fulfill in your life. That way you can hold on to it over the long term. I thought it was pretty good advice. When we make changes in our lives, find the things that we can change, that we have the courage to change, that we have the faith to change. Find the things that we can change and follow them through. Make sure it's something that you know you're doing with permanency in your life and don't ever go back. Jesus met that moment. He met that moment and he said, in my father's house. You don't turn my father's house into a, a place of merchandise. You don't turn it into something that is about a celebration of whatever is fun and whatever is frivolous and whatever is light for the moment. This is not the state fair. This is your life. This is your life and your dedication and your devotion. So my friends, the, the choice to follow God's path in life will often run counter to the flow of the world. Jesus taught us about two paths in life. Yeah, one looks easy, easy to follow, easy to do. That's where you're going to find a lot of people and you've got to have a good crowd to go with. When I say good, I mean a large crowd to go with. He said, but there's another one. There's another choice to make and that is the choice for the good. Choose that way. And it will quite often go against the grain. But when you know it, you know you're following the right path. This morning we're going to sing again a song of encouragement and invitation. If there's someone who needs to respond this morning, we want you to do that. If you need to respond publicly this morning, let us help you and assist you. Whether it's to put the Savior on in baptism, to obey the gospel, have your sins removed, confess the great name of Christ, begin that life of walk in Him, have the hope of eternity and life set out before you with affirmation. Or if there's another need you have, we want to assist you and help you with that this very morning. That's our desire, and that's what, part of why we sing this song. Let it be an affirmation and a, an encouragement to us all, but if you need to respond this morning, please do so while we stand and while we sing together. <laughs>